0: City. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Here, amen. We just want to welcome you this morning and just say we love you, and we want you to know that if you're watching online or if you're here in the house, you're welcome. And God has something special in store for you today, amen. We're all His children, right? That's right. So go ahead and reach out to your neighbor, tell him that you love him, tell him it's good to see you this morning in the land of the living, amen. And while you're doing that, we're just going to go ahead and get started. Amen. That's good news right there. So that situation you're going through or that depression, it's got to bow before the the, the lion and the lamb. Amen. Because the king of kings is here. He's here to set the captive free. Amen. Amen. Thing about coming to him all fixed up and pretty and perfect but it says to come to him as you are so wherever you are right now i encourage you this morning just to come to jesus he knows you're broken he knows your hurts he knows that we need him and so we can come to him just as we are this morning Stay. Yeah. Hello.
1: That through another time or two, couldn't we? Just our testimony. I will sing of the goodness of God all my life. You've been faithful. Known you as a father, known you as a friend, carried us through the fire all my life. I can sing of the goodness of God. Now, there there have been some spots. That in our flesh, in our humanity, we can wonder where has the goodness of God gone? Where is the goodness of God? I want to talk some about that this morning. The hope and the help for the desperate. The hope and the help. For the desperate. But before we get there, I just feel like we need to pray. Our our world, our world is stirring. It doesn't matter whether you you look in Eastern Europe, Russia, or China, Taiwan, or you look at the gas prices around San Antonio which can seem to be significant to us, but in the light of a life or death issue, it's nothing. But there is a stirring that is going on. And our instruction from Scripture, from the example of the Lord and the teaching of the apostles, is that we're not supposed to just observe those things with some sort of a benign looking in on it. But we are to engage what is going on in the name of the Lord Jesus, standing firm, realizing that our battle is not flesh and blood, but it is against the principalities and the powers and the world forces of this darkness. And that our position would be to pray, Lord, bring your kingdom. Oppose the kingdom of darkness and we invite you, we standing on this earth in agreement with your heart, we ask you to bring your kingdom. We ask you to cause your will to be done and literally as we've been over the instructions of Jesus, you, you command, you command that the kingdom of God come and command that the will of God, not the will of Satan, but the will of God be done on this earth he is in heaven we are down here we are his body given his spirit to give us instruction encouragement direction how to pray and i want to invite us to do that this morning that that, um, it isn't about our authority being enforced because we have no authority over anything in the spirit realm but our jesus has all authority all authority, all authority, all authority. When you don't know what kind of confession to make, when stuff is coming loose around you, you can make this declaration, you can make this decree, all authority, all authority, all authority. Just say it until you feel it. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Every knee will bow to the name, of the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's, That's how it is. So we stand, we come in the authority of the Lord Jesus. We stand in his authority when we would declare over and to the forces of darkness, kingdom of God come, will of God be done, realizing that it is his authority and his word and his instruction that gives us any authority at all to make such a statement, okay? So would you join me, would you join me as we pray together? Lord, we declare, we declare those words to be true. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. Jesus, you have been raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father. The name that is above every other name. Lord, you hear the cries of the children in Ukraine. You know the grief and the terror, the fear that is working within the peoples of the earth, particularly in that region of the earth. We don't have to inform you of that. But Lord, what we're asking you to do, because we believe it's your heart, we ask you to restrain evil wherever evil is, wherever stealing, killing, and destroying is going on. We ask you, Lord, restrain evil, restrain evil. In the name of Jesus, restrain evil, restrain evil. And you are the one who came to heal broken hearts. You you are the one who came to open eyes, spiritual eyes, physical eyes. You are the one who came to set the captives free. Lord, we're asking you to do all of those things where evil has been running rampant. We ask you, Lord, even with the eyes of the leadership driving those things, making those decisions, we ask you, Lord, if you would please just have mercy on them and show them something that they've never seen before, give them an encounter with the living Jesus. Would you do a Damascus road, Lord, all over again with whoever needs to know you? we commit that to you, Lord. We believe that you're able. And Lord, we pray that the leadership in our nation will know what to do, that you'll give them wisdom, you'll give them courage. They will not be listening to voice, to the spirit of fear, the voices of fear. They'll just do what's right in your sight. Would you, would you speak to the White House? Would you speak to the Pentagon? Would you speak? To others who are in level, higher levels of responsibility. Any forces of darkness that are driving them with with an attitude of fear and intimidation, Lord, we pray that broken in the name of Jesus off of them, so that they would be able to hear what is right in your sight and do what is right in your sight. We believe, Lord, that this nation has been put here that we may be a light of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We ask you, Lord, to bring our nation back to you. We ask you to send a great revival from the, from the, from the Pacific to the Atlantic, to the, from the Gulf Coast to Canada, Lord, that you'll just bring a sweeping movement. Of, we, we believe that the future of our nation is tied directly to our returning to you. Would you grant the gift of repentance? Would you bring the gift of repentance to this nation one more time? You've done it before, Lord. You know how to do it. We ask you pour out your spirit on the United States of America and turn our hearts back to you. Turn our hearts back to you. Turn our hearts back to you as our prayer. In the name of Jesus, would you say his name with me? In the name of Jesus, say it strongly. In the name of Jesus, the one who has all authority, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Desperate, defined by Webster's, means this very sad and worried with little or no hope. Desperate, to be desperate, means that someone is very sad and worried with little or no hope. We have this treasure of Jesus alive in us, the life of his spirit at work in us. We have this treasure in what is called an earthen vessel. That means that there's a part of us, even after we've come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that can still be prone to the old way. There can still be a built-in tug toward unbelief, toward doubt, toward selfishness rather than unselfishness, toward being tight instead of being generous. All of those things that, that the Lord by His Spirit will put within us, Paul will call it the old man or the flesh, is also alive and can also operate. That's where even for a believer, even for someone who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord, this fallen part of us can try to take us at times based upon the circumstances around us, the settings, the situations, and try to pull us into the place of despair the opposite of hope. We know that it's the heart of the Lord. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, the things going around on around us, the things said, done, looking out at the future with reason to be afraid, concerned, all of that can tie into that, that fallen place of us, that old place of us. It, it, it's not that as that happens, the Lord is automatically disgusted when our name comes up and the report comes before him of what we are, what we're believing and doing. It, it's not that he's ready to quit on us. It's that he knows what he got when he got you and me. It, he, he knows what it's going to take for him to rescue us, to save us. And a part of that is that he, he, he knows how to bring deliverance in the place of despair. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Trouble, trouble, which can lead to despair, of various kinds, trouble for the child of God, is not all-powerful or eternal. Let me say that one more time. Trouble for the child of God is not all-powerful and is not eternal, which means that it will come to an end. At some point, at some time, it will come to an end. The circumstances that can cause us to be troubled and afraid and worried and desperate, all of those things, Scripture says, are still under the feet of your Jesus. So then why then would he allow it? It's not from God, but why would the all-powerful standing on the top of trouble Allow it to continue in my life. Isn't that a $64,000 question? But I offer these thoughts. It is being allowed. The place of desperation in your life, the place of trouble in our lives is being allowed to transition you into something better, to transition you into something better. Sometimes we've got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired in order for a move that is incumbent upon us to make in order for us to take those steps. It's not true of all the settings of trouble. But there can be some times when the Lord just seems to leave us alone in a place of being desperate. Because he knows until we get sick of it, down to our toenails, we can have a tendency to come back. He takes us out, but we come back. It's amazing the love of the Father for his children. Or he will have a purpose in allowing certain things to remain instead of immediately taking them away. And one of those can be for the purpose of transitioning you into something better. This can also be true. It's being allowed in order to train you for something better. We'll come back to David and some examples in his life in a minute. But if we hadn't gone through what we've gone through and learned the things that we had to learn in the dark, things that we had to learn when there was hostility, there were affronts, there was confusion, and somehow in that we learned how to trust we learned how to stand against the devil and we found him fleeing when we would rise, When we would stand humbled before the Lord and resist. We'd never have learned the authority of Jesus over Satan if we hadn't been in some places where we needed his authority over Satan in order for us to survive. Let me just tell you, there's training. There's training that takes place in the desperate hour. In fact, if you were to look through most, if not all, of the main characters for good in your Bible, you will find that most, if not all, of them had a season of being desperate where they didn't have anybody else but God that they could count on. It's a season of training something about a place of desperation that can purify our lives. We're asking the Lord, Lord, show me, show me where I've messed up. Show me where I've stepped out of line. Show me where I could be in agreement with the enemy by choice that I've made. There's something about that inventory that a season of desperation in a child of God's life can be used of the Lord to just check us in some areas to clean off some shelves and open up some closets and get some things thrown out and, and the junk trashed away carried away so that it's not in us anymore desperation has a way of purifying hearts it has a way of simplifying our lives I'm realizing that we can't go here and we can't go there and that's not going to help and that all we have is the Lord All we have is the Lord. I'm I'm talking to some folks this morning, and and you, you may not realize the significance of those seasons in your lives in the past, but also maybe what you're facing right now, that when you cook it all down, there is nobody who can help you but the Lord himself. We used to sing a song around here in days gone by. My only hope is Jesus. From early morning, early in the morning, all throughout the day, my only hope is you. My only hope is you. My only hope is you. A desperate place can do it. Powerful work, and I'll show you that from some scripture in a moment. That it simplifies my life by putting my focus back on Him. The outcome of a season of desperation, the outcome is about our hearts. This is about the strength of the conviction of your heart and my heart coming through the season of desperation. That Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my supplier. Jesus is my defender. Jesus is my counselor. Jesus is the prince who conveys peace. That Jesus is everything that I or anybody else would need. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So sometimes, folks, when we feel stuff being tested and relationship with people being challenged and we've done all we know to do to try to do those things right, but still it continues to be something of a circumstance that that can cause us to, to, to be disturbed and troubled. If all of that is about bringing us clearer to the place, my only hope is you, Lord. In that place, there is a place of freedom. There can even be a place of joy, even celebration. When nothing may have been changing out here, and I want you to see that in the life of David in a moment. And it's remarkable how the Lord can make hope real, and how he can provide help in real and practical ways to the desperate. The outcome is our heart. Would you take your copy of the scripture and find the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah the prophet is writing these words to members of the nation of Israel, Jewish people who survived Nebuchadnezzar's conquest of Jerusalem and carried hundreds captive back to Babylon. Among those would have been Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. That's another whole story, set of stories. But these are people... Taken captive. They don't know how they're going to make a living. They don't know where they're going to live. There were children that were a part of this as well. They were in a foreign land. And the government was hostile toward them. They were in an extremely desperate situation. All right? The word of the Lord came through the prophet Jeremiah to speak some things to them in their desperation. Look at verse 10, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Verse 13, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, there are are a couple of powerful expressions in that statement. You will seek for me. You will seek for me. You, you won't be seeking what I can do for you. You will be looking for me. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Folks, in our places of desperation, if we're not careful, we can be pulled into asking God for this and asking God for this kind of deliverance. And asking God for this expression that would result in deliverance. When the Lord is saying, I am more than what I can do for you. I don't want you coming to me all the time just for what I can give you. I'll know something has shifted in your heart when you just want me. When you just want my presence. We we have talked a lot over the last years, months, years around here. That the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. The day of Pentecost and on throughout the generation of the church. The giving of the Spirit made available to the church. So that we could feel the presence of God. We could sense him in the room. We could recognize his presence and welcome his presence when he moves. We have been given more capacity to hear the things of God and receive things in the spirit realm than David and Jeremiah and all those folks ever had. But the Lord still said to them, With all your heart, you seek me. He doesn't say what I can do. Seek me. And you will find me. I will let you, I will let myself be found by you. Can you let this in in the place of desperation this morning? That which can settle the fires of worry. And stop the winds of doubt and fear. All of that can change when the sense of the one who said to Galilee, peace, be still. Shows up in the room. The one who said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Shows up where you are. Now folks... This is so powerful because Jeremiah is saying the Lord is going to show up in Babylon. Not in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem, but in the most pagan of all places up to that time probably. You seek for me in Babylon, you'll find me. I know this sounds crazy. I know this is a stretch. But there are many of you who could stand up in that pew and wave your hand and say, It's true, Pastor. His presence, the sense of His presence is better than anything He does. Knowing that He is in the room. That's why some folks are invincible when you try to talk them out of what they feel like the Lord has shown them or spoken to them or done in them. It's because there has been a visitation. There has been an enduring sense of the presence of the Lord God of all creation and the person of His Spirit who has made Himself known. Peter and John to the Sanhedrin, the same ones who orchestrated in an earthly sense the death of Jesus. They stood there Fearless. You can tell us to speak no more in the name of Jesus. We're saying back to you, we don't have the power to shut up. The power inside us to speak is greater than the fear that you're demonstrating in our direction. They were filled with his spirit. Felt something. Sensed something. That's I'm praying church, cry out for that. Don't be satisfied to just sit and stay in a place where, where the, the, the things that have been depressing and covering... It's not to minimize those things at all. They are real and they're powerful and they're strong. And there's only one who is greater than all of that in combination. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The Lord says when you seek for me with all your heart, that being a result of the place of desperation, all other, other what we thought were valid efforts to help have vaporized. They don't even exist legitimately. And that brings us back to then who then is left. Who then is left and from deep within our spirits as the born-again children of God, faith in Jesus, there rises up within us, my only hope is you. My only, you stay there and you keep saying that to him. He will visit you. He will visit you. You say, Pastor, do you mean I'm gonna see him? A door's gonna open, he don't need a door. We don't have to see him physically. When do you know you're cold? You feel it. When do you know you're hot? You feel it. When do you know he's in the room? You feel it. I invite you to step into that place of unfettered power over that which has been dominating and causing us to be despondent. It's, it, it isn't to say that we shouldn't ever experience that. I mean, that. That's a part of living in this life. But it is that we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay there. What if you really believed and it was settled in your heart Lord, if I ask for you to come, if I ask for you to make your presence known, I believe you'll do it. So I'm waiting here in this cesspool of trouble. I'm standing knee-deep in garbage. But I believe you said that if I would seek you with all my heart you would come and as you come I'm believing that you're going to do what you want to do in my situation it may be to fix it immediately change it immediately but what's even better than that is that he thrills your heart with the sense of the king's presence (laughs) And you'd be willing to stand in that garbage the rest of your life to know his presence. Knowing that this is just a temporary thing anyway. Every street address is going. You know there are no banks in heaven. Think about it. There's no private ownership of property in heaven. Every one of us has a room in the Father's house. So if you're going to stretch your stuff, you better do it down here because it all stays when we leave it. But what we do have, what we do have in that place is a measure of which we can have in this place. A down payment, an earnest payment by the Spirit of the sense of His presence in your life. And I want to dare you to not wait until you get through what you're going through before you start praying this way. The example of Scripture, it's replete throughout Old and New Testament that it's in the dark places He wants to show up. It's in the impossible places that He wants you to feel His strength and His power in His life. Not after it's all done, you don't need it as much then. But these folks who are going to be 70 years in Babylon, When they heard these words, it must have spoken something to their hearts. Maybe they weren't ready to hear it at the time. But as the years passed, what was that that Jeremiah said the Lord said? What was that that he said? Well, it was something about that if we would seek the Lord with all our hearts, that he would let us find him. Surely that must have meant that we would begin again to experience the sense of His presence. The sense of His presence. Folks, listen. Folks may have rejected you. Folks may have fired you. Folks may have cocked a pistol and put it in your face to threaten you. But when you know His presence in your heart and in your life, in that moment, there is a freedom to stare a 357 barrel down. There is a freedom to, to not be able to change anything that's being written or said about you or perpetrated against you. It won't matter nearly as much because you understand the king and his glory. Has named you as his own, has called you as his child, has redeemed you, has rescued you, and he has made his presence known. Do you know what your body is called? Physical body? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying that to the Corinthians. You, you, you need to watch what you do with your bodies, what you put into your bodies, what you do with your bodies. You, you, you gotta understand, you can't go to the temple cult prostitutes anymore. The goddess Diana, that's how they went to worship. The men got to have sex with the the temple prostitutes. And so Paul walks in there and and begins to say, wait a minute, there's a change that's happened in your lives, men and women, your physical body is the place where the Holy Spirit dwells on this earth. If you're going to try to find the Holy Spirit's dwelling somewhere, don't go to Jerusalem, the temple is no more. But you recognize that it is within the bodies." Our believers, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That can be fact, but the change comes when it is a felt fact, and that's what I'm talking to you about here. Lord, I need your presence. I need the sense of your presence. I believe that if I would get the sense of your presence, I could go another day. I could reject another battery of lies because I'm sensing your presence. My brother, my sister, you may have never prayed this way in your life, but I'm encouraging you to start praying it now. Lord, make your presence known to me. He's not contained in the Bible. He, all of this is true but you can leave the Bible on your dresser or on your table nightstand and you can go out of work. but you, have, you haven't left him. He's in you and he wants you to feel and to know and to sense his presence. Only explanation as to why Peter grew in such courage. Only explanation as to why the church went on and kept going and kept standing and witnessing for Jesus. It's because they felt... F-E-L-T. Can I make that any more clear? Let's put it all in bold. F-E-L-T. Felt the presence of the resurrected Jesus. So they weren't talking about somebody way off somewhere. They were talking about someone they knew was alive and present in them. Can you just say amen? Just, 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 just. You know, just a nice little one would be good. And I, I know I'm, I'm watching your faces and I sense you're getting it. But I don't want you to walk out of here without this. You can join 50 different denominational churches, go in here, 5,000 different preachers, raise your hands and dance and worship in a million different places. But if at the end of the day, you are not a living, moving, breathing, place in which the felt presence of Jesus is alive and operating. You will only go so far before you're sidelined. That's why Jesus said, it's not enough to just know the information about me. Buried, died, buried, raised. You need power. Holy Spirit... When he comes, he'll fill you with power so that then you'll be able to be our witnesses. It's a difference. It's a change. It doesn't mean that he, he rescues us from our temptations and our struggles by taking us and putting us in a really safe place. When he said Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, that was in the very places where the hostility was so vocal. Against this these followers of the way in the person of Jesus. I'm telling you, that's that's what happens in a desperate place. When He makes His mighty presence known in the person, it won't matter who is coming at you, things being said, things being done. I I know we feel that what I said earlier in the beginning, there's a human side of us. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel, and there can always be the pull of that earthen part of us. But the Spirit of Jesus inside you, when we're seeking Him and trying to live this out, with all my heart, Lord, I'm looking to You. I'm not looking to You just so You can give me this, that, or the other, provide this kind of deliverance and so forth. I'm, I'm just looking to You. I need You. I want You. I desire you with all my heart, Lord. I I need you. He will honor that request. Let me show you if you would turn, if you'd leave uh, Jeremiah 29, I want you to go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. This is um, a chapter. In young David's life, the history briefly, Saul, the king of Israel, had gone way away from the Lord's leading in his life, and there needed to be another king named, and the Lord picked one out, and it was this young son of Jesse named David. David was called from the sheepfold, taking care of the sheep to go check on his brothers who were fighting in Saul's army against the Philistines. And you remember the story of how David challenged the Goliath giant, giant, challenged Goliath the giant, that's it, challenged him. And with his sling, knocked him out with Goliath's own sword, cut his head off. Great victory, great victory came for Israel on that day. David, prior to that time, had been anointed with all in the presence of his brothers and his father. Samuel the prophet anointed him as the next king of Israel. Probably didn't make those statements that this is who David is publicly at that time. But the scripture records that from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. So he killed a lion and a bear. That was preparation for the nine and a half foot tall giant. And when that hour came, he stepped up, stepped into it. The Lord gave him the strength and the ability to do what he needed to do. Well, Saul, recognizing the popularity of this young champion immediately, began to grow jealous the jealousy turned into a violent hostility and he determined that the only way for his for his dynasty to continue would be for this threat to the throne to be eliminated being David so he turned on David even though David was God's choice he was God's anointed But he went through a season, not just a month or two or two or three years, but somewhere between the time or during those years of of killing Goliath, probably a late teenager, up until the time he was 30 years old. And when Saul was killed and David could ascend the throne, for all of those years, a decade or better, he was constantly in a precarious place. He lived from one dangerous predicament into another. But somehow, some way, through the places of desperation, God was training him for something better. That he would never have learned if he had stayed just the shepherd of sheep. If he had stayed in favor with Saul, he wouldn't have learned these things and he wouldn't have come into contact with the 600 who later became his mighty men. He'd have never known them. They wouldn't have known him if these things hadn't happened. So 2 Samuel 23 verse 9. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant has heard from certain that King Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender to me? Into his hand will Saul come down just as thy servant has said, O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come. Verse 15, 14. And David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him... Every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Saul sought him, hunted for him every day. During that season, during that time, find Psalm number 34. During that time, David wrote this psalm. At one point, it became so dangerous for him to stay in Judah that he even fled and found more safety with the Philistines with the enemies of Israel they knew him as a valiant warrior and perhaps the king Achish thought that he's he's becoming a traitor he'll fight for us against his own people which was not what was going to happen and David had to come up with some way or another. He, there was a plan when he realized that, that he was not being accepted at that time by the Philistine warlords and the captains under Achish. He came up with a plan, and it says he feigned madness. He faked, played like he was a crazy man. He, he scribbled on the wall, drooled in his beard, and Achish finally sent the word out, have I got enough nuts in this kingdom to begin with? You're bringing me this guy? And David fled. David left. And here is, if you if you see the if you see the little paragraph of description, a psalm of, at the start of Psalm thirty-four, a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech who drove him away, and he departed. But listen to these words coming from that season in David's life. And, and I, I think. We need to be pondering, if we were going to write something out of our hearts in these seasons of despair, would it sound anything like this? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What are you saying, David? You you don't have a roof over your head. You don't have any protection on the basis of your citizenship. You are a runaway. You are an outcast. And you're saying, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And David would say... That's exactly what I'm saying. That these things coming against me, these ones arrayed against me, are not God. That's not the heart of the Lord for me. What I know He is, is good. And He is so palatable. He is so real. It's almost like there would be something from Him that I could put in my mouth and taste it. Folks, He wants to come off of the pages of Scripture for you. And not just when everything is good, happy, and going great, but it's when the worst of the worst is upon us. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He continues, how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 17. The righteous cry. One's trying to do right in the sight of God. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. He could write this because he felt this. He could write this because he knew it was true. Folks, Satan will try to work overtime, especially in these seasons of despair, to try to convince you this is coming from God. This is coming from God. This is who God is. Somewhere along the line, we need to just arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit. Only offensive weapon the Christian has. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the rhema of God, which is a particular, personal, spoken word that you use against the enemy. And we speak the truth. No, no. This is not coming from the Lord. This is coming from you, Satan. What I'm saying to you is that the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. I, I want to hurriedly get you to one other, one other spot in David's life. And, and this is in 1 Samuel 30. He's on toward the end of this decade or so of running from Saul. But something has happened Something something tragic appeared to have happened when David and the 600 men and all of their families had been given by the Philistines a specific town to live in named Ziklag. And so David and his men were gone on another enterprise and while they were gone, a roving band, warring band of Amalekites descended upon Ziklag Burned the city. Let's just read it. It's First Samuel 30 verse 1. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone and carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, Behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive, and David and the people who were with him united their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep with their hearts feeling. And this too, God, and this too, David could say, with all that I've been through for all of these years, hunted like an animal. And now this too, my family, my children, my wives, and all of my men's families. They wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and Abigail. Verse 6, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. Understandably so. Look at this sentence. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. They're talking about stoning him. His wife, his family has been taken captive. It's not just been a month or two. It's been years of this. And each time the Lord had delivered... But this was a fresh challenge. This was a new one. But what did David do? It says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. Verse 8. David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, pursue. The Lord said to him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and you shall surely rescue. Look at verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, rescued his two wives, but nothing of theirs were missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had not taken for themselves. David brought it all back. When did David set himself to strengthen himself in the Lord? Was it after Or was it before? Was it after? Or was it in the middle of a despairing circumstance? David had come to understand that I'm only here because God has given me strength to be here. I don't have any other sources of strength other than him. Go to Psalm number 18, and I I promise we'll finish with this. Psalm number 18. Remember the first Samuel 30, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Look at this, Psalm 18, verse 1. I love thee, O Lord, my strength. I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. But then he said in verse, look at verse 17, he delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity But the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Well, someone uninformed about the ways of the Spirit of God and the activities of the heart of God would say, if he really loved you, why would he ever need to rescue you? If he really loved you, why wouldn't he keep all the sailing smooth and all the storms away? (laughs) It's because David was more than a runaway. David was more than a vagabond. David was the king of Israel in waiting. And the Lord needed to train his king. And David understood that I'm only here because you put me here, Lord. If I'm going to stay here, it's because you give me strength. So I'm strengthening myself in you as I repeat the words of who you are to me. You are my rock. You are my high tower. You are the one in whom I run and take refuge. Child of God, if you are in a desperate place, Ask for the Lord to make his presence known to you. And stay there at that place until there was the sense of his presence. And then you have the right to say, Lord, help me to strengthen myself in you. And what he's liable to do (laughs) is put a word in your spirit. A word like rock, a word like strong tower, a word like refuge. You speak that word that he's put within your heart, and you speak it, and you speak it out loud, and you speak it out loud, and it's amazing what is liable to happen with the sense in your heart. I'm not abandoned. I'm not without hope. I'm not without help. He is here. This is who he is to me. He's my strength. And he's my rock. And he's my high tower. He's my defender. He's my supplier. He's my provider. He's my Lord. Folks, there's some of you that are getting testimonies that you never had before because of the desperate situation that you're in right now and the testimony being sense his presence before it ever changes, sense his presence right there and then you sense him strengthening you with fresh insight as to who he is and who he is to you they overcame him Revelation 12, 11. they overcame him the devil by the blood of the lamb by the word of their testimony And they love their lives, not even unto death. These places of desperation are places where God's mighty acts of power demonstrated in your life are happening so that you will have more to say when the enemy comes to try to discourage and defeat. You'll overcome him with the word of your testimony your testimony, your testimony. He is my rock. He is my shelter. He is my hiding place. He is my strength. Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. I I, I pray by your spirit that you will fall fresh on us as your people. I pray that you'll cause scales, religious scales to fall from eyes. Well, we've been trapped. We've been blinded. Well, all of these things of power are about yesterday. We can't ever expect. Yes, we can expect it. Yes, it is our birthright. Yes, it is that which we want from you as you desire to give it. The felt sense of your presence. The felt sense of your strengthening us in the place of desperation. That we can choose hopelessness. Or we can choose to cry out to you, Lord, make your presence known to me. Make your presence known to me. Lay aside, here's how I want you to fix it, God. Here's what I want you to do. Lay that aside. Lord, I want you. Lord, I need you. I need the sense of your presence. Please make it known in Jesus' name. Folks, 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 Dramatic and wonderful things can happen when you hear what has been said today as being prepared and delivered for you, for you. Not for somebody else, not a historical treatise, but as a declaration of what God in His power and His love for you wants you to know. He wants you to know He is real and He is here. And He's able. I could go for another spell on this, but we better stop. Because it's true. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. You guys have been playing and getting ready to sing for a while. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I told them to come up here so it would help me wind down. The problem is I get to hear them, and I think it gets me more wound up. But the problem is, thank you, though. Make it real, Lord. Grant it to your people Is our prayer. If we can pray for you here in this room, prayer partners, if you'll join me at the front, we'd love to pray with you. Streaming family, bless you, bless you. Thank you for your encouragement and your support and the ways that you you all are so faithful to encourage. And this is a season, folks, where these words of encouragement that are grounded in the Scripture are hungered after across our country, but literally around our world, and, and your support helps that happen to get that word out, and we bless you for that. Pastor Walker at AlamosCity.org, paragraph, brief paragraph, how we can pray for you. We'd love to do that. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And I'm asking the Lord to set you on fire. From the inside out, God, do it again. You don't have to do it in everybody, everywhere, but he can do it in you. He can do it in me, and he can make a difference in that way. Okay, i got to quit. I better stop. Bless you. Bless you. We'll see you next time. Come if we can pray for you, please.
0: And All my life you have been so, so good